Happy Weird Wednesday, everybody. It's October the 21st, and these are some of the headlines on BizarreBest.com. New robots with mini brains will feel pain. Fukushima nuclear water to be released into the sea. Dude. On Brazil's tropical island of cats, a virus has led to starvation for them. Killer whales filmed attacking a yacht lasting two hours. San Francisco Archbishop performs exorcism to cleanse protest site. Five scary podcasts to get you in the Halloween spirit. Scientists discover mysterious new organ in the head. And robot judges that determine guilt or innocence to be commonplace. That sounds like a movie. All of these headlines and more on BizarreBest.com. BizarreBest.com. Real news. No bullshit. New robots with mini brains will feel pain and use AI to repair themselves. A research team from Singapore has developed artificial intelligence, which says it allows the robot to detect and repair its own damage when injured. That's a little too close to home, y'all. Scientists have developed robots, which are able to recognize pain and repair themselves when damaged. A research team from Singapore has developed artificial intelligence, which says it allows the robot to detect and repair its own damage when, when injured without the need for human intervention. This is done through a system with AI-enabled sensor nodes, which process and respond to pain arising from pressure exerted by a physical force. The new NTU approach embeds AI into the network of sensors connected to multiple, small, less powerful processing units that act like mini-brains distributed on the robot's skin. Combining the system with a type of self-healing ion gel material means that the robots, when damaged, can cover their mechanical functions. The breakthrough research by the NTU scientists was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal, Nature Communications, in August. The journal details how the robots were taught to recognize pain and learn damaging stimuli through MEM transmitters, which are brain-like electronic devices capable of memory and information processing as artificial pain receptors and synapses. Through their lab experiment, the research team demonstrated how the robot was able to learn to respond to injury in real time. When injured from a cut from a sharp object, the robot quickly loses mechanical function, but the molecules in the self-healing ion gel begin to interact, causing the robot to stitch its wound back together to restore its function. That's like some Star Trek shit, dude. Crazy. Co-lead author of the study uh, says for robots to work together with humans one day, one concern is how to ensure they will interact safely with us. For that reason, scientists around the world have been finding ways to bring a sense of awareness to robots, such as the ability to feel pain and to react to it and to withstand harsh operating conditions. However, the complexity of putting together the multitude of sensors required and the resultant Fragility of such a system is a major barrier for widespread adoption. So they're still working on it. Associated professor who is a neuromorphic computing expert. How do you get that title? 
Our work has demonstrated the feasibility of a robotic system that's capable of processing information efficiently with minimal wiring and circuits. By reducing the number of electronic components required, our system should become affordable and scalable. This will help accelerate the adoption of a new generation of robots in the marketplace. Dude, that's super interesting. I'm linking it at bizarrebus.com. Not good news. Nearly a decade after the Fukushima nuclear disaster, Japan's government has decided to release over 1 million tons of contaminated water into the sea, media reports said on Friday, last Friday, with a formal announcement expected to be made later this month. The decision is expected to rankle neighboring countries like South Korea, which has already stepped up radiation tests of food from Japan and further devastate the fishing industry in Fukushima that has battled against such a move for years. The disposal of, of contaminated water at the Fukushima plant has been a long-standing problem for Japan as it proceeds with a decades-long decommissioning project. Nearly 1.2 million tons of contaminated water are currently stored in huge tanks at the facility. The plant run by the Tokyo Electric Power Company Holdings suffered multiple nuclear meltdowns after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. On Friday, Japan's industry minister said no decision had been made on the disposal of the water yet, but the government aims to make one quickly. To prevent delays in the decommissioning process, we need to make a decision quickly, he told a news conference. He did not give any further details, including a time frame. The newspaper reported that any such release is expected to take at around two years to prepare, as the site's irradiated water first needs to pass through a filtration process before it can be further diluted with seawater and finally released into the ocean. In 2018, Tokyo Electric apologized after admitting its filtration system had not removed all dangerous material from the water collected from the cooling pipes used to keep fuel cores from melting when the plant was crippled. It said it plans to remove all radioactive particles from the water except titium, an isotope of hydrogen that is hard to separate and is considered to be relatively harmless. Bullshit. You know that's bullshit. I could be wrong. I'm not a scientist. In common, it's common practice for nuclear plants around the world to release water that contains traces of titanium into the ocean. In April, a team sent by the International Atomic Energy Agency to review contaminated water issues at the Fukushima site said the options for water disposal outlined by an advisory committee in Japan, vapor release and discharges into the sea were both technically feasible. The IAEA said both options were used by operating nuclear plants. Last week, Japan Fish Industry representatives urged the government not to allow the release of contaminated water from the plant into the sea, saying it would undo years of work to restore their reputation. South Korea has retained a ban on imports from seafood from Fukushima. If it's safe, then why is, why is this stuff, like, banned? Why are fish in the ocean growing like Cyclops eyes? <laughs> it's freaking... It's mutant, dude! It's nuke material. During Tokyo's bid to host the Olympic Games in 2013, then Prime Minister 
told members of the International Olympic Committee that Fukushima's facility was under control. The games have been delayed to 2021 because of the pandemic and some events are due to be held as close as 35 miles from the wrecked plant. Well, this is from Reuters, by the way, so this is not some bullshit publication. Um, they had been talking about this for several years now, and it's a huge issue because they can't possibly get all these particles out of that water and then release it into the ocean. And to release anything into the ocean is a contaminant period, whether they deem it harmless or not. Uh, anyway, I will link it at bizarrebest.com. Out of Mangaratiba, Brazil, I probably packed it. Sorry if I did. All the locals knew the island just west of Rio de Janeiro was teeming with cats. It's called the Island of Cats. They left food and even brought tourists. Then the coronavirus pandemic hit and human support dried up, resulting in a gruesome scene witnessed by fishermen, a group of cats devouring other corpses. So now they're starving and eating their own dead. Futurata Island, widely referred to as the Island of Cats, is 20 minutes by motorboat from the city of Mangaratiba at one extreme of Brazil's green coast. A vast swath of mountainous tropical forest and sandy coves dotted with hundreds of islands. Over the years, fishermen tossed fish guts and any unneeded catch onto the island, while others, kind souls, left bowls of water and store-bought cat food that has helped the island's hundreds of residents stay fed, particularly the recently marooned cats that lack the skills of their wild-born brethren, which climb trees to raid bird bird bird's nests. I'll get it out. <laughs> when the pandemic forced people to quarantine, sunk tourism, and shut restaurants that dished up seafood previously, Boat traffic around the island fell sharply, and with it, the food and water deposited there. Locals didn't realize the horror playing out on the island until the fishermen reported back in April. The number of boats fell, the number of tourists, and we saw the condition of those animals on the island. Uh, a, boat, a boat guy who works with a local group that rescues animals from abuse, so we mobilized. He and other volunteers asked local businesses for donations in April. They started installing rudimentary food and water dispensers made from PVC pipes and now make weekly trips to restock them. On Tuesday, as cats milled about, this guy and three others filled the dispensers on the small island where thick vegetation spills down to meet a rocky shore. Cats that are recently discarded, they're more sociable. You saw we could get we saw we could get close to them, but not the feral ones. They're all hidden, and you see them at night because of their eyes. It sounds to me like you need to thin the herd, dude. If they're not domesticated, they're feral. You need to go in and thin that herd, the the group, the troop. Um, that's really the only way they're gonna survive. So, I'm just gonna. The roughly 250 cats on the island traced their origins to a couple that were the only residents some two decades ago. They, decam they decamped, leaving behind their two cats, these people that were camping, 
Um, and then those two cats did what most creatures do, left to their own devices. Uh, the cat population then grew and people took notice, and some believe they'd found a repository for an urban scourge of unwanted and stray cats. Well, clearly this is a problem and it's not going to get any better. You need to go thin them out and then... Um, I don't know what you need to do, but there needs to be a food source. So you need to grow them a food source or something because at some point there's not going to be any cat food to give them. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, people don't have money to be fishing if they're not getting paid to do it. So you guys need to come up with a plan and saving them doesn't seem to be the right thing because they're just going to keep eating them their own that's just what they do dude they did that on the farms when i was a kid um they just eat their own man and it's not out of hunger necessarily um you know lots of cat species do that so anyway i will link it at bizarrebest.com absolutely terrifying a video of killer whales attacking a yacht off the coast of Portugal has been released by the company delivering the vessel. Footage shows killer whales, also known as orcas, ramming the boat in what the narrator calls quite an ordeal. This video is linked at bizarrebus.com on this source news page. Pete Green from the UK-based yacht delivery company, Hal Kion Yachts International Yacht Delivery said two crew members and the two owners of the 45-foot boat were on board when the attack took place on October 4th. They were sailing off the coast of Porto on their way to Gibraltar when they saw what they initially thought were dolphins jumping from the water. However, as the animals got closer, they realized they were killer whales. They got closer and closer, said Green, who was not on board, but whose company was delivering the yacht, told Newsweek. You can hear the film, them ramming the rudder and hitting the boat. Dude, I'd be flipping. Flipping. It was fairly playful, just bumping the rudders. No serious damage was done. It lasted two hours. Yeah, playful till somebody drops off the boat and becomes food. Dude! I don't think so. In recent months, with reports of attacks dating back as early as July, um, that's a concern. Most of the attacks are believed to have been carried out by three juvenile killer whales, Scientists analyzing the, their behavior said, what has prompted the behavior of this particular attack is unknown. Researchers say the three animals show signs of injury, but it's unclear whether this was the result of interactions with the boats or whether they were hurt before the attacks began. Green said, this is the second yacht his company has been delivering that has been involved in an attack with the first having taken place on September 11th. In this event, the boat, lost its, the boat lost its steering and had to be towed in. Footage from this attack can be seen as well on this same page. So they're into it. They see a boat, they're like, ooh, let's play around. No, dude, they know your food. In the latest incident, the crew contacted the, the Coast Guard who told them to turn off the boat systems and just sail. 
They were lucky for the rudders not to break, Green said. The orcas are pretty powerful. If they wanted to do some damage, they could have done far worse. I don't think those on board ever felt under true threat. They were okay. It was definitely a scary experience, though. Uh, well, I'll say. I'm going to link this at bizarrebus.com. Archbishop of San Francisco performed a short exorcism ceremony on Saturday outside a Catholic church where protesters had earlier toppled a statue of Father Junipero Serra, saying the ceremony was intended to drive out evil and defend the image of Serra. Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, Cordelione, I don't know, probably hacked it, performed the ritual before some 150 supporters before holding a special mass inside St. Raphael Catholic Church and an expected march to a Planned Parenthood clinic in San Francisco, uh, reported the San Francisco Chronicle. Sarah was an 18th century Spanish missionary priest and the father of the California mission system. The Franciscan priest has long been praised by the church for bringing Roman Catholicism to what is now the Western United States, but critics highlight a darker side to his legacy in converting Native Americans to Catholicism. Critics say he forced them to abandon their culture or face brutal punishment. Depictions of Sarah have been protested and vandalized over the years, and Pope Francis's decision in 2015 to elevate him to sainthood reopened old wounds. More recently, protests focusing on the rights and historical struggle of black and indigenous people led activists to topple the statue of Sarah in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, and Sacramento. San Rafael police said they arrested five people on vandalism charges for knocking over the statue on Monday, leaving just the feet attached to the base. The statue is being repaired and will be returned. Despite characterizations in popular culture, the newspaper reports that exorcism is more commonly a solemn ceremony to evict the devil or evil spirits from an area or a person. Cordelione said prayers in Latin, remarking that the experts in the field tell me that Latin tends to be more effective against the devil because he doesn't like the language of the church. San Rafael is north of San Francisco in the county of Martin. Well, okay, I, it, the negative energy needed to go somewhere, so guess he needed to exercise it. I'm going to link it on bizarrebus.com. Let's take a small break to show you the new Bizarre Abyss face mask. Oh my gosh, y'all. You asked for it. You got it. Uh, $12.99. I'm sorry. I, that's the best we could do, y'all. We really tried to keep it lower than that. I really wanted to keep it uh, $10.99, but I could not get it any lower. Um, offers full nose and mouth coverage. Single-sided print. Includes two six-inch elastic ear loops, non-medical grade product, as you, of course, know. And one dollar from every mass sale is donated to nonprofit to feed the children in need. Comes in black, gray, white, and red. So feel free to check that out. Go to BizarreBist.com and get yours today if you would like to support us. Dude, it's Bizarre Best Headlines, 100% unfiltered. 
scary podcast to get you in the mood for Halloween. Dude, I love scary podcasts, so I wanted to share these with you. Halloween might be decidedly less social this year, but you can always take solace for a good scare from a good podcast. From fictional tales of small town horror to a real life scary cat screaming his way through Midsummer. Here are five creepy podcasts to binge while you're stuck inside for Halloween. The first one is Baraska, B-O-R-R-A-S-C-A. And by the way, this is linked at BizarreBiss.com. Just click on headlines. Click on the headline, five scary podcasts for Halloween, and you'll be able to check them out yourself. This originates in Reddit's horror-heavy no-sleep forum. Baraska is a fictional podcast about a boy who moves to the small town of Ogarts, and the town is plagued by disappearances. Dude, sounds interesting already. Up next, the Scary Cats Horror Show. Uh, Reply All hosts, Alex Goldman and PJ uh, Vote want to see if someone can learn to love scary movies through exposure. On the Scary Cats Horror Show, Goldman chooses movies for a vowed Scary Cat Vote to watch and discuss on each episode. From campy classics like Nightmare on Elm Street to recent Ari Aster Dreadbenders, Hereditary, and Midsommar, guests from the biz get into how horror can offer a safe setting to experience a wide range of emotions. Up next, let me get down there. Oh man, I'm sorry, I got a pop-up. I hate that. Why, dude? Unspooled. Movie Buff Podcast Unspooled presents its first ever horror mini miniseries this month, starting with Frankenstein and moving into The Babadook. I really enjoyed The Babadook on um, Hulu. It was really freaking interesting. Uh, in any event, Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween is also on here. The production company behind uh, Get Out, The Purge, among other scary movies, is pretty much the name in horror. And lucky for us, they've teamed up with iHeartMedia to count down the days till the holiday with a new fictional podcast. So you need to check that out. And Radio Rental. Real horror stories told by real people, all hosted by Rain or Ran Wilson playing a video store clerk, Spooky Crypt Keeper. Need to go check those out, people. Again, it's linked at bizarrebus.com. Click on headlines and click on five podcasts for Halloween. And you too can check these out yourself. Medical researchers have recently made a surprise discovery, finding what looks to be a mysterious set of salivary glands hidden inside the human head, which have somehow been missed by scientists for centuries until now. Um, and it was identified by accident by doctors in the Netherlands who were examining prostate cancer patients with an advanced type of scan called a PET-CT scan. When paired with injections of radioactive glucose, this diagnostic tool highlights tumors in the body. In this case, however, it showed up something entirely something else nestled in the rear of the nasopharynx and quite the long time lurker it looks like these two like the lines in your face right here that's exactly where it's at in the back of your head dude 
new. <laughs> you gotta check it out. There's pictures. The guy looks like he's wearing an orange mustache. Anyway, um, people have three sets of large salivary glands, but not there, explains radiation oncologist uh, from the Netherlands Cancer Institute. As far as we knew, the only salivary or mucus glands and the nasopharynx are microscopically small and up to 1,000 are evenly spread throughout the mucosa. So imagine our surprise when we found these. They're huge. Huge. Salivary glands are what produce the saliva essential for our digestive system to function. With the bulk of the fluid produced by the three major salivary glands known as the parotid and submandibular and sublingual glands. And I'm sure those that know how to pronounce that are now laughing at me hysterically because I suck at it. There are approximately 1,000 minor, minor salivary glands too, situated throughout the oral cavity and the aerodigestive tract, but these are generally too small to be seen without a microscope. The new discovery made by Vogel's team is much larger, showing what appeared to be a previously overlooked pair of glams. Glands. Glams. Glamorous glands. Located behind the nose and above the palate, close to the center of the human head. The two new areas that lit up turn out to have other characteristics of the glands as well. We call them tubular glands, referring to their anatomical location above the torus tuberous. To our knowledge, this structure did not fit prior anatomical descriptions. So this is pretty peculiar. They hang down like that. Oh, like that. Anyway, I'm going to link it at Bizarre Abyss, and you can check it out for yourself. Very soon, we will have robot judges that can determine guilt or innocence, and it will be commonplace in the English legal system within 50 years. Experts claim, scientists say the bots will be able to con conclude whether someone is guilty or innocent with a 99% accuracy rate by analyzing body language. One believes the physical and psychological signs of dishonesty will be identified using an array of current cameras. Signs that signal wrongdoing or probable falsehoods could include irregular speech patterns, an increase in body temperature, and hand and eye movement. I don't know if you could really say that's legit, though, because, like, I move all the time when I'm talking, and I look over, and when I'm thinking, I look this way. I'm left-handed. So, um, I, I constantly am on the move. So, I don't know, and I'm very animated when I talk, so I can't really hide what's on my face. I'm just saying, I don't know that you could definitely use that as, like, a 100% of guilt or innocence. Data collected from the robots will then be analyzing, analyzed using AI to build an almost error-free and unbiased picture of whether a defendant or witness is telling the truth. You would freaking freak out because you're in front of a robot that's going to judge you, not a human. Mari, who runs the London-based Policy Institute Hack Future Lab, said AI in the courtroom carries great promise for the legal industry and for those wrongly accused of crimes. Okay. I guess you couldn't be swayed by... See, I just looked over there. 
you couldn't be swayed by a jury or feelings of like, oh, well, that person had a rough life. Let's give them a break kind of shit. Um, AI has created unprecedented changes in the way that people live and work by performing complex problems with a level of consistency and speed that is unmatched by human intelligence. In a legal setting, AI will usher in a new, fairer form of digital justice whereby human emotion, bias, and error will become a thing of the past. Hearings will be quicker and the innocent will be far less likely to be convicted of a crime they didn't commit. I don't know. And China, so do you don't need a jury then? Is that what you're saying? You don't need a jury of your peers. Isn't that changing the whole... I don't know, dude. I don't think that sounds right. <laughs> and again, I'm just, I'm just some chick, you know. In China, AI judges have been dealing with online trade disputes, copyrights, cases, and e-commerce product liability claims since 2017. Where the hell have I been? The mobile court in the city of Hangzhou has already handled more than 3 million legal cases. Wow. AI judges in Estonia are being considered to clear court backlogs by adjudicating and small claims of up to 7,000 pounds. Two opposing parties will upload documents to support their claims, and AI tech will analyze these submissions and issue a decision. If either party is dissatisfied with the outcome, they can appeal to a human judge. Well, okay. I, as long as you can appeal... To a human, um, yeah, then maybe that's cool. But that's pretty concerning, dude. I think we're getting close to them being in charge of too much shit. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to Weird Wednesday. Um, and I will be on the lookout for more weirdness to bring you next Wednesday. Um, have a great rest of the week. Stay bizarre. Yeah. Make sure you take a deep breath. Positive. Just saying. Dude. Penguins given free reign to roam around the aquarium since there's no visitors allowed. That's awesome. Dude, look. He's looking around. He's loving it. I got a new section under the on the headlines page at the bottom called Bad Seeds. Matt Geats of Florida, 1st Congressional District, mocked the whole process by wearing a gas mask when reviewing the funding. You're a super freaking winner, dude. An Alaska airman has been punished for peeing in the office coffee maker. Dude, why? Like, how did... Why? Did you take it in the bathroom with you? Did you stand in the kitchen and whip it out? Clearly, this airman is dedicated to getting kicked the F out. He's trying really hard, y'all.